Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, along with co-host Lori McRobbie. Today we're talking about public health in Indiana with several experts, and we're talking about the recent event at the State House, which put the issue into the limelight. We have four guests with us, all joining us by Zoom. We have Elizabeth Thompson, IU Health Service Line Administrator, Amy Meek, IU Health South Central Region Community Health Director, and Penny Givens, Monroe County Commissioner, as well as Dr. Corinna Rapetto, who's the Medical Director at IU Health, Paoli, and Bedford. If you have questions or comments for our guests, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us your questions there. So thank you all for joining us on the show. We had a couple of legislators recently and they talked about how public health is such a key issue in the legislative session this year. And, and there was a rally at the State House and, and a whole public health day at the State House. And I know that uh, Elizabeth Thompson, Amy Meek, and Penny Givens, all three of you were there. And Elizabeth Thompson, I want to start with you first to give me um, you know, your reflections on that day, the importance of it, what was the, the um, the, the reason for it, um, just uh, give us sort of the background. Well, I, we all gathered together, a large group from IU Health to support funding dollars for public health. Uh, it was important to us because obviously the healthcare system and, and IU Health specifically can't afford to do everything that would help improve the health of our citizens. Uh, it's a huge task and public health is so important to uh, helping us um, treat patients and you know through prevention, education and all of those things. And I'm sure Amy will have lots to say on those those topics as well as Penny and Dr. Petto. But I think the most significant uh, statement was that that struck me so um, you know almost critically was what our governor said when he said we uh, we can afford to uh, to fund public health now given the financial situation with the state we cannot afford not to fund it and that to me said when our governor uh, said that I was I felt like this was an impactful day and it was so great to have so many people there sharing in that mm -hmm. Amy Meek would you uh, like to add something yeah, sure. So I think this is, you know, monumental and, and great. If anything good came out of COVID, it was the light on community health and public health and the need for funding public health. This is going to be a, a huge lift. Um, you know, even just to become average is going to be a huge lift because we've been so underfunded for so many years. Uh, nationally, per capita, you know, states fund public health about $91 per capita. Indiana has funded it at $55, which has made us 45th in the nation. So this push is just to become average and you never would think that it would take so much work and so much of a push just to be average and who whoever wanted to strive for that. 
Um, but even that is going to make you know a huge difference in our public health infrastructure. I know that's a that's a point that the governor has made that you know the funding requests while they seem big they will make us put us in the middle of the pack. And he said, who who wants to really strive to be in the middle of the pack? So I think I think you and the governor are on the same page with that for sure. Penny, um, you're a Monroe County commissioner. So how does this particular issue um, sort of tie in to, to county government, and, and why did you feel it was important to go? Well, after hearing and seeing the numbers across the state, it just felt like we, we do have to make a big change in what's going on. I think for me, one of the startling things was that um, counties play a big role in funding their public health and that there are some counties that they spend $1.25 per person per year on public health. And that doesn't get you very far when you're trying to combat obesity, smoking, um, mental health issues even. Um, and so I think if the state can step up to the plate and provide additional dollars, it could make a big difference to our citizens. Um, and I, I think too that the, one of the things that goes with this are some of the things that the state is also promoting with things like our next level trails to get people out and exercising and help to reduce hopefully some of that obesity that we've seen in Indiana. Yeah, I want to follow up on on that and I think direct this towards uh, Dr. Rapetto with respect to with you know the health of the citizens of Indiana and the kinds of diseases that particularly afflict um, the majority of the population. You know, cancer rates, of course, are are high. Heart disease, obesity. What what would you what would you say are the principal uh, markers of of poor poor health for Indiana citizens that we need that this public health uh, investment needs to address? Well, definitely from my perspective, public health is definitely an emergency. And as an emergency physician, I see all the complications of not preventing uh, what the diseases actually are. So basically, when people come to the emergency department with preventable illness, it's because our community really has not met their needs. And uh, one of the big problems, yes, is definitely obesity, but it's not the fact that it's not just obesity. Obesity leads to multiple other issues, uh, including heart disease, diabetes. I mean, the percentage of type 2 diabetes has skyrocketed over the you know, uh, past uh, few years. Mental health is a huge, huge issue because, well, first of all, we just had COVID, and with COVID, mental health issues have also skyrocketed. But it also shows the unavailability for people to actually go get help. So often we see people that come to the emergency department with depression, uh, suicidal ideation, um, drug abuse, and other issues that actually um, could be very well prevented and could also have you know some therapy or it, it's just really difficult to provide the services. And by the time they come to the emergency department, usually things are really severe. Um, so from my perspective, also, of course, smoking. And mm-hmm. it's really depressive that the rate of smoking, I believe that in Indiana, it's one of the highest in the, in the country. And, um, and, and vaping has really taken me by surprise uh, because the amount of children that are vaping is through the roof. And, you know, it's, it's marketing. They're marketing to children. They're marketing with flavors that are appealing to children. And vaping is, um, is extremely addictive. So mental health, smoking and vaping, and obesity are probably the things that I see the most or the consequences of I see the most. Yeah, I, I want to follow up with Amy on that as a as a as a county healthcare person, uh, kind of on the front lines of this. What are you, what are you seeing? Would you concur with with uh, what Dr. Repetto is saying, and and in particular with, around smoking? Uh, what what would you say the the approaches should be, uh, and the and what the issues are? How do you how do you tackle that? Well, 
Yeah, so that's uh, that's a big question for one. But uh, you know, the biggest I think crisis that we see is with our kids and that increase in vaping with very young kids. So they're becoming, you know, not just vaping, but becoming addicted to nicotine very young. And that's um, that's just so much on the rise. Um, tobacco companies market those tactics and social media in particular targets that population. So to, tobacco companies are actually incentivizing young people who have really large social media followings to be influencers for their brands. And I think you know some social media regulations and marketing regulations on what can be out there for tobacco and vaping in particular is one tactic that needs to be looked at. Um, the other one, you know, at IU Health, we always try to follow the evidence, and you know, we offer programming for like beat tobacco classes and and some support that way, and, and those things are great. But the evidence shows us that when tobacco gets too expensive, that's when people stop. So, you know, increasing that cigarette tax across the state is one thing that could impact our tobacco and vaping rates. Yeah, I, I could just a question I realize I don't know the answer to. Are there um, effectively cigarette taxes on vaping products as well? So that's or a good question. The cigarette tax is a dollar a pack, but for vaping, I actually don't know that answer either. I don't know if someone else on the call does. I, I think last year that the state legislature kind of passed on whether or not to increase taxes on vaping. Uh, I don't know if they're looking at it this year, but I, I agree with Amy, that that could go a long way toward reducing some of the vaping that we see in younger people. Um, studies several years ago indicated that if you increase the tax on cigarettes, this is pre-vaping, by 50 cents a pack, it would reduce teen smoking um, by a, a noticeable percentage. We're talking about public health issues in Indiana today, and we have four guests that are all joining us by Zoom, so we'll, we'll try to make sure that we keep straight who we have talking. Um, we just heard from um, Amy Meek, an I IU Health South Central Region Community Health Director. Penny Givens is Monroe County Commissioner, and she's with us. Elizabeth Thompson works for IU Health, but also was the uh, Executive Director for our Volunteers in Medicine Clinic here in Bloomington for some time. And also Dr. Corinna Rapetto, Medical Director at IU Health IU Health Paoli in Bedford is with us. She's an emergency room physician. Uh, when you were at the State House, I mean, what are what are some of the issues, or not issues, but what are some of the um, proposals that you've heard from the governor or from the governor's commission that you would set as a very high priority? And, and Penny, I know you know you you know you had a very, very close run to get into the state house so you could be voting on some of these proposals. Um, but what you know which ones which ones would you see as the most important and the ones that you would would like to see as priorities? I would really like to be working on some of the mental health issues. I think that that goes hand in hand with some of the other things that we see in terms of substance use disorders and even smoking. Um, we have, one of the worst maternal fetal outcomes in the country also. And I would love to see us working on issues related to that. Um, Monroe County is one of only, I believe it's eight counties in the state right now that has a syringe services program, which is a needle exchange program. I'm very proud that we continue that. And I wish it were available throughout the state. Um, so there, I don't know, there's just so many things that, and they, they they're, they're not unique. I mean, we see obese smokers, and why does that occur, you know, kind of thing. So you, you, it's hard to parse them out one by one. Mm -hmm. And can I add something sure, to that? Sure, absolutely. I mean, and the, the issue is that everything intersects. And until we get to the base of it, and we actually try to because like for example homelessness right in the emergency department we see a lot of homelessness we see a lot of substance um substance use disorder uh we but one can lead into the other and vice versa and uh you know we try our best through the emergency department to link people to services and i have to say that in in the region 
uh, we have really good mental health support and we have video um, a therapist and we also have peer recovery um, recently uh, we have been able to set up something with the Stride Center so that people actually can go and um, have a place to go and maybe even prevent coming to the emergency department. They will go and pick up some of the clients and that's all, you know, community-based. And there, there is a mobile psych unit, um, I think that runs through Centerstone, I'm not 100% sure, but um, they also will go out and try to prevent the patients coming to the emergency department. But if you're not providing, you know, clean syringes, a safe place to go, uh, decent food, all those people will end up in the emergency department because they also don't have access to physicians. And if they have access to physician, if we provide access to physician, they don't have transportation to get to physicians. They have no way of communicating if they're going to be late. And then if you're not going to show up for a couple of times, you lose access. So it's a self-feeding problem. And I think starting with really good community health and public health is really the solution to prevent a lot of these issues that end up in the emergency department. Because honestly, we want to see emergencies and, and care for that. We would, you know, we want to make sure that we can prevent as much as possible. That's why it's so important. Dr. Repetto, how has life in the emergency department changed over the last <laughs> decade or so? Well, it's changed. It's changed a lot. Um, well, first of all, you know, technology is much better than it used to be, let's say, even 20 years ago, right? So um, we have the possibility to um, really do a lot more diagnostics that we used to do in the past, but that also means that the patient is going to be in the emergency department for a prolonged period of time. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is after COVID, really there's been a markedly increase in volume and also increase in sickness and the level of sickness of the patients. And in part, I, I, I haven't really read a lot of studies or anything, but in part, I believe it's due to the fact that also people were not accessing care during COVID. So now we have some of those complications and they were home, they were eating more, they were drinking more, there is marked increase in depression, there was no access. So again, everything was self-feeding. Um, and uh, more people need to be admitted, so we have more people in the emergency department waiting, you know, boarding. Um, and this is throughout the whole state. This is not just Monroe County. This is actually throughout the country. So you're finding spots for uh, patients that are further and further away from home, which then puts an impact on EMS because EMS has to, you know, tie down their ambulances for uh, more time, which means you have less access we have, uh, you know, we could really use a lot more paramedics and just EMS personnel in general, and and there is a lack of nursing. So I mean, I could go on and on. I, <laughs> I, I understand. So yeah. there, did you want a short answer? <laughs> yeah, we'll get. I'm sure we'll get to a lot of these issues as we go through yeah. the program today, but uh, we'll we'll stop there for now. Yeah. Well, and I actually just. Um, this will probably get the rest of you talking um, about this too, because I think COVID certainly is uh, has had a huge effect on on all of us, and I think we've seen uh, just when we look at things like um, vaccine uptake, um, that is a public health measure um, that we've seen um, get uh, had, had varying rates of success around the state, and I just I would be interested in having. Um, uh, Elizabeth and Amy and Penny also comment from their different perspectives on how you think COVID may, might be shaping the debate right now about investments in public health. Elizabeth, you want to start on that? Uh, the <laughs> there's so many things that we, there's so many directions we can go with that because it is it can be a, a little bit of a lightning rod. Um, and talking about uh, how COVID has affected funding um, and where people want to put their dollars because there's some people who we know um, have had disagreements with uh, some of our approaches to vaccination and, and the pandemic. Uh, but essentially what we have seen is 
the importance of the vaccine on vaccinations in general. And I think prior to COVID, there was much discussion, uh, especially among uh, new mothers on whether to even get vaccines for their children. And so if anything, COVID has elevated the importance of it and uh, and certainly in public the public health arena um, education about vaccination is critical and oftentimes uh, it, we talked earlier a little bit about access and and where people don't um, are not able to get to the places they need I believe uh, from the the initiatives that are being proposed in the state in funding more broadly and reaching our more rural areas. Um, these are the areas where I feel the dollars can have a great deal of impact um, because of the education piece so that people understand the importance of vaccination and living a healthy life to prevent disease. Right, that whole emphasis on on prevention, right? That's really what we're talking about with yes. public health and vaccines are only a one of many, many, um, many, many pieces of that. And that is all largely, I think, uh, the the funding would come into county public health departments. I think the um, the the work that's going on in the state house, and so I, you know, again, I, you know, think my own observation, of course, is that it's heightened both the interest in doing this, but also some of the, perhaps some of the, the concerns and the pushback. Um, Penny, I wonder if you've got a perspective on this. Well, for, for one thing, we have seen a real uptick in telehealth, which has changed things as well for people. Um, when Dr. Repetto talks about issues with transportation and childcare, we saw some of that kind of fall off the cliff a little bit because people could use telehealth. And I say, so I think that's changed how, how people receive their health care in many ways. Um, but also we saw that people delayed health care during COVID. And I, from what I've read, that's part of the reason we're seeing worse outcomes. We're seeing sicker people as they go into the ER, go into their, doc their doctors. So we need to to see those wellness visits put back into place and start to do a big public kind of advertising campaign about that we are involved in health care, not sickness care. Right, and Elizabeth, certainly um, things going on in, in the hospital setting to, you know, d be part of the preventive uh, and, and educational um, aspects of public health. What are you seeing as, uh, things that you've learned from the from the pandemic and how that might affect responses next time because unfortunately there probably will be a preparedness certainly is an issue um, this was something that none of us were were really ready for uh, a lot of conversation uh, in many for many many years about the possibility of a pandemic like this uh, but certainly I, I don't think we were prepared uh, across the the nation, let alone here. Um, but I was really proud of the the response and the collaboration with our health department here and leadership and all of the uh, healthcare arenas, um, not just IU Health, but everywhere where we came together and put together a plan how to keep people safe. And as more information was being issued uh, through the CDC, um, responding accordingly. And so um, certainly we see when we have a, a, a well-oiled machine and a plan, um, it, we can come together and really keep our community members as safe as possible. We're here to answer your questions too. So if you wanna call us and ask us questions about the public health situation in Indiana, please do so. The numbers are 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us questions there. And you will be talking with uh, Dr. Corinna Rapetto, who is the medical director at IU Health, Paoli and Bedford. Uh, she's also an emergency room physician. And uh, we have Penny Givens, Monroe County Commissioner, and Amy Meek and Elizabeth Thompson, both from 
IU Health. And Amy, you're the IU Health South Central Region Community Health Director. So as a community health director, I mean, what are what do you see, again, as the, the steps that you can take through IU Health to help make us, uh, um, help make all of the IU Health communities in South Central Indiana um, healthier? Yeah, so one of the things I think we've always done well at IU Health, and I think Monroe County has always done well, is you know collaborating with partners. And Elizabeth mentioned that a little bit, but I think in a lot of ways we maybe fared better through the crises that we've been through this last couple of years because of those partnerships. So whether it's tobacco cessation or it's COVID vaccinations or whatever that is, you know, working with our community and working with partners to spread that information further is always helped us be a little bit more successful, I think. You know, one of the things about the, the public health funding that is exciting that's coming out is it makes health a little more equitable across our counties. You know, here, you know, Monroe County is not large, but a little larger than some of the other counties, and we have a lot of partners. So when there's an issue, we have others to lean on and we can partner and, and get through it. You look at some of those small counties, they've got two or three people who even work there. And so just keeping up with what has to be done is all that sometimes can be done. So, you know, building that infrastructure and getting some funding in those smaller counties will help spread community health a lot better. Yeah, if you could follow up on that, and I know we've talked about, I think you mentioned the statistics of $91 is the national state per capita average spent per person, but Indiana spends just $55. But county by county, the numbers are dramatically different as well. Isn't that correct? Yeah, and I don't know the statistics mm-hmm. for our neighboring counties, but you know that each county sets that for themselves. So even if a county's not pouring in a lot of money per capita, at least they'll be getting something from the state to kind of bring them up again to average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- Amy, and, and actually yeah. others of you can probably comment on this too. Could you give us just a sense of what what responsibilities fall to those county health departments? Because it's um, obviously educational programs and and information is is crucial. There's so much more that can be done there. But um, testing, there are, there are other things that have to do with the what we can call about vaccinations. <laughs> um, we can talk about the, when we talk about the health, the public health infrastructure. It seems to me that that's really what the county public health departments are front and center in. Can you just describe that a little bit more in depth for us? Yeah, so they have a lot of just things that I say just keep things going. So your septic systems, your vital records, uh, restaurant inspections, um, water waste management things, like all of those, those things every health department has to do. And so when it comes to health and prevention, you know, if you don't have a very good infrastructure or very much staff, sometimes that's all you get done. But the other things that health departments are responsible for, you know, are vaccines, communicable disease follow-up. So anyone in the state who has something like tuberculosis, um, they have to case manage that out of the local health departments. Um, they also follow up on other communicable diseases like hepatitis and there's a whole list of those. Any outbreaks that happen, so we know of COVID because that made the news, but there are little outbreaks that happen all the time, whether it's a school that has a, a bunch of flu cases or a nursing home that has you know, an enteric disease going through, something like that. The health department has to respond to all of those sort of things as well. Um, and I'm sure there's a long list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which and hence if you've got two or three people, you can, I mean, we can all see the the problem there uh, and where the funding is going to make a big difference. Dr. Repetto, you, you're, you know, you've spent a lot of time in the emergency room here in Bloomington and in Monroe County and also uh, the emergency rooms in the smaller communities around here. And, you know, you talked before, and I, and I want you to expand on these issues a little bit about you know, all the issues that face the people that you see in the various emergency rooms from, you know, transportation to not having a a general practice physician to 
you know, any how poorly they eat or whatever. Um, can you just talk about all the various issues that that come into um, you know keeping yourself healthy? Boy, there are a lot, but I have to say one of the big problems that I see, aside from the ones that we already discussed, such as mental health, homelessness, substance abuse disorder, and all that, um, is, for example, dental. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many kids that are teenagers or you know mid twenties, you know they they're going to need dentures because they have so many cavities, and um, and that can be very much related to um, you know sugar intake, um, some to uh, drug use such as meth, but a lot of them in the kids it's it's related to the diet and and not taking care of your teeth feet. Feet is a big one because uh, people are not used to taking care of their feet, and they get, um, you know, if if they have, especially if they have diabetes, um, then uh, they have no access to anybody taking care of their feet, and they can't feel things, and then they end up with, you know, big ulcers and big problems, and then they have to be admitted. And I do want to make a comment about, you know, poor counties and more, uh, let's say, in richer counties, because yes, uh, we, you know, pre-pandemic, like 18, 19, the spending per person in Indiana was 55 versus 91 nationwide. However, there is a huge disparity between the counties, like we said, and some of the counties, the lowest uh, county gets $1.25 per person. And then there are other counties, the highest gets $83. So it's not a matter just of an average in the country, but it's in Indiana itself. That's why, in my viewpoint, it is imperative for the state to really bring up the counties that cannot afford uh, public health. And, uh, you know, that so... Is that does that answer your question? I mean, yeah, I could talk. No, no that's forever. very that's that's very helpful. <laughs> and you know that disparity, dollar and a quarter, that would would that buy an aspirin in the emergency room? I don't think so, would it? I mean, not in the emergency <laughs> department, but maybe at uh, at a store. Yeah, well, you know, you talked about also access to you know two physicians, and and I want to ask Elizabeth Thompson and, and Amy Meek from IU Health about. Um, access to physicians in the community. And Elizabeth, you you had uh, you were executive director for Volunteers in Medicine, which you know our good friend Dr. Raj Hadawi helped to uh, push to the finish line. Um, and I know that's gone through transformation, and I believe it has an affiliation with IU Health now. So, can you explain what that is and how how people who can't afford to go have their own doctor can get medical care in our community? Well, uh, speaking of the transformation first for Volunteers in Medicine, since it did start out as an offering for individuals who didn't have health insurance at all, for a small number of counties, just Monroe County and Owen County, um, the model was great, but it, it, it couldn't sustain reaching out to all of the surrounding counties and it has since then become an fqhc a federally qualified health um, clinic and will take all comers so insured insured or not so that is a benefit definitely to our community and access is um it, it touches on physicians uh nurse practitioners physician assistants what have you uh you know patients need to be able to get that preventative care and then really rapid response when there is a crisis in their life as far as healthcare goes. So as a community, um, I think we are focusing strongly on additional primary care um, and growing the volume and of physicians that we have to take care of our citizens. Uh, the volume is too high. And uh, Dr. Repetto said, you know, seeing more and more patients that are coming in sicker, uh, we need more physicians to help take care of those patients. And um, certainly that is a big con- contributor to access is having enough providers to take care of them. 
Amy, how, do, how does IU Health uh, address that? Yeah, so I'll just add a little bit of what Elizabeth said about HealthNet first. Like they're um, an amazing partner for our community. So from a community health perspective, you know, that's one of the groups that we partner with the most. They have um, providers that are even doing street medicine now. So they're going to the shelters and doing primary care visits and they're going to the parks and um, helping people get access that maybe aren't um, getting access until time for an ambulance. So preventing some of those emergency room visits and things like that. Um, other ways, you know, just increasing workforce is an issue all across the nation. Mm -hmm. So um, providers, but also, you know, we have a big need for medical assistance and um, always have a need for nurses and other support staff as well. Um, IU Health has partnered with, I know, IV Tech to work on some of those workforce needs and make medical assistant classes, you know, more accessible so that we can have a, a stronger workforce coming down the pike. Yeah, I'm, I want to uh, drill into that just a little bit more if we can, is, is, is the workforce issue sort of the provider side of this? Because that's obviously been uh, hugely impacted by all these changes. And I'm wondering if there are um, perhaps some new models for how uh, both public health and medical services can be provided that will help uh, relieve some of the burden on frontline physicians who are, you know, having to deal with, you know, the most acute cases. Um, I, you know, are there enough, let's say, nurse practitioners, um, um, physicians' assistants? I mean, are there other um, occupations that could be developed more fully and trained for uh, more actively? And Doctor, but any of you who <laughs> could, any of you could probably jump in on that. I would, would like to say uh, one of the uh, an example of utilizing uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants is developing clinics like in urology, working on a men's clinic or for prostate health, and uh, that opens the door to care and monitoring through the advanced practice providers and physicians um, then are overseeing and then uh, taking care of patients as as needed. Uh, so that is a way that we have, I think, developed uh, utilizing those additional roles. Primary care has been a great example where we've uh, enhanced the, the numbers of uh, supporting providers in our medical practices and getting patients in. And um, I think there's, uh, you know, I just wanted to say here in our state, there's currently in concurrence with this public health funding conversation, there's also discussion about, um, you know, limiting or at bringing a, a law that eliminates the non-compete clause, which means that more uh, physicians and nurse practitioners would be able to practice outside of, uh, you know, like within a community when they quit. And I, I do want to say there that that actually does affect access access in that in the opposite way, because it's really challenging for a physician to open a practice and be able to afford to pay for the overhead that it costs to to be in a private practice. So there's some things I think that are happening within our community as well as our state that can really impact access, not just because of IU Health, but just in general with some, some of our uh, uh, legislature. We have a caller who wants to uh, ask a question. So let's go to the phone and we have Jan on the phone. Hello. Hello. Yes, go ahead. Um, I have a question for Dr. Uh, Rapetto. And uh, first, I just have to give a little background. I'm 73 years old. And last late July, despite my best efforts, I contracted COVID-19. My physical symptoms were very mild flu for a day and a half. Um, the really nasty part was that the illness gave me absolutely crushing panic attacks. So at three o'clock in the morning, I was in the um, emergency room uh, at the new hospital in Bloomington. And long story shorter, um, young doctor gave me a prescription for um, 
hydroxyzine pamoate, which is an antihistamine. And I thought that she would give me a prescription for uh, Xanax or some other benzodiazepine. No. Okay, well, I never knew that antihistamines have anxiolytic properties. My prescription was for five days, period. Um, I talked to my primary care provider, a nurse practitioner, who said, yeah, I could give you a Xanax prescription, but I'd only give it to you for two days. Now, in the hospital, in the emergency room, I was asked one of the classic fundamental questions. Do you have thoughts of hurting your, harming yourself or others? And this seemed to be a binary question, and I answered no, partly because I didn't want to be on the record as having suicidal ideation. The true answer would have been more nuanced. No, I don't want to kill myself. I want to get better. But if I don't get a solution to these Jan, I'm going to have to ask you to get to a question, please. Okay. Um, in the emergency room, do you have a policy um, for how to treat somebody who says, no, I don't want to kill myself, but um, if I don't get relief for this soon, I'll be heading for the gun cabinet. All right. Thank you, Dr. Rapetto. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Um, we absolutely do. And just because, you know, there are a lot of people, especially after COVID, but that um, have symptoms of depression. And this is actually a nationwide initiative to actually address these issues because sometimes they're underlying other problems that may be the presenting problem. And in your case, it sounds like it was a panic attack. Um, and uh, But there may be some underlying issues and anything, even, you know, panic attacks, um, we in the emergency department, our job is to rule out a life-threatening issue at the time it you are there. So for us, like a panic attack is usually a diagnosis of exclusion. We want to exclude the bad things first, and then if we feel that most likely that was a panic attack, we can treat for a short period of time. But really, what you need is uh, you know mental health or a therapist and uh, we do have availability anybody that comes to the emergency department and maybe feels depressed i mean lots of people are depressed that doesn't mean that they're suicidal um we have the availability of a therapist and we have a special video card where um they can connect with you and it's you know totally private and uh, you can discuss uh, whatever issue you have and then they can refer you appropriately um, so that doesn't mean, so you're right. If, if you had told us at that time, um, it, it does not mean that you're going to be, you know, uh, placed in a situation where you can't leave because you're suicidal or anything. It, it would just be addressed. Does that answer your All question? Right. Well, yeah, I don't believe Jan's there any longer, but thank mm -hmm. you for, yeah, thank you. Hopefully he's still listening. Yes. Thank you for addressing that. Dr. Repetto. So I want to get back to the um, you know public health infrastructure issue. I mean, what are some what are some key ways that the the legislature is looking at? I know we talked about uh, perhaps an increase in the cigarette tax. Um, our producer found some evidence of a 15 percent vaping tax that went into effect in July of last year. So you know, what are some of the public health measures that are going through the legislature now that um, would help shore up this infrastructure. Penny, do you want to tackle that one first? Well, certainly additional funding uh, comes into play here. We all know that. Um, when we were talking about what all the health department does, you know, people aren't even aware of the fact that that the health department goes out and does eye exams on elementary school kids, and that all takes resources and people to take take care of that. Um, but I think we need to start to talk about sort of our race to the bottom, also to to make people wake up and take take responsibility for some of their own health care. Uh, right now in Indiana, when you look at across counties, uh, life expectancy, there's a huge difference from county to county and between the lowest life expectancy and the highest life, life expectancy within Indiana comparing counties, there's a nine year difference. That's striking. 
So we, we need to have a real wake up call. And I think the best way to do that is through our public health department and public health dollars. How can that be addressed? Is that more of a situation where, you know, the health, the, the state needs to take a more active role rather than just giving money to counties? Or is it just a matter of giving more monies to eat to some of these individual counties? How would you address that? Well, some of it's beyond public health also. And I think Dr. Repetto and a few others alluded to this, that that we've got like coal ash ponds that don't have liners in them. We've got um, industrial accidents where chemicals go spewing into you know our waterways. And we need to stop and say, it's not just public health, it's enforcement of environmental regulations, it's addressing climate change, it's a whole host of things that uh, interplay to providing better health. Right, right. We're um, coming uh, up on the last um, little bit of our conversation, and it's probably not too soon to ask each of you to talk a bit. You've, you've each talked about what kind of what your priorities are, and you've all uh, said this is such a huge issue that uh, I guess maybe starting somewhere is better than not starting at all, of course. Um, but your priorities, and, and mainly what I want to ask you is what each of us should be doing, not just for our own health, but uh, in addition, um, paths for advocacy uh, that I know um, a, a number of our listeners might want to pursue. And um, I'm going to start with Elizabeth. On that question, your your kind of your priorities, and and then what would you, what would you ask each of us to do? Do we still have Elizabeth? May well, maybe, maybe maybe Amy can take that. Yeah, I'm sorry, I dropped off. Oh, like, go ahead. I lost <laughs> connectivity. I'm back. I'm so sorry. Did I don't you, know what happened. Um, to answer your question, I think you asked about my pro- what my priorities your, are. Your and priorities and what you would ask of each of us in terms of our own health yes, and advocacy. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think cr- it's really critical for us to focus on education, starting with our younger uh, uh, citizens, our children in our schools, learning the importance of a healthy diet, um, learning how to take care of yourself. Uh, where to go, you know, if you're if something is wrong with you, you know, like not being afraid to, to tell someone this is happening to me. So, you know, or if you have some kind of symptoms, I don't I think that public health can do so much prevention starting at a younger age and, you know, all the way through diabetes being one of the biggest issues. And I know Dr. Repetto talked a lot about that. There's so many complications that result from diabetes and kids knowing that too much sugar is not good for them and it you know children can understand these when it's presented in a way that that brings it down to their level i think that's my um big driver and each one of us reaching out to our representatives and you know if you have a personal story or even a a relative who uh struggled to get access or uh or you know, any kind of services or someone you know and use that personal story and reach out to your representatives to say, let's do something about this together. Yeah. Amy, what would you highlight? So our um, infant maternal mortality, for one, those are just a personal passion of mine, but infant mortality and maternal mortality are considered kind of the pulse you can take to see what your overall public health is. And so in Indiana, of course, we rank in the low here for infant maternal mortality. But what goes into that are all the things that affect all of public health. So it's substance use disorder, it's mental health, it's obesity, it's hypertension, it's tobacco use, it's all of those things. So by impacting the infant mortality, right, you really have to impact all of those things. And so um, just healthy, healthy babies and healthy families, again, are just kind of my passion anyway. But that's something that's that's really important to me. And then I think for what we can do is just start at home, um, you know, educate yourself, educate your neighbors, educate the groups that you're in. Uh, I don't really, again, think public health was even talked about that much outside of the public health arena um, before COVID. So now it's on everyone's mind. So let's talk about it and work together to, to fix it. I want to mention, Amy, the this program that uh, 
I have I, I see here that you're involved with the nurse family partnerships and can you just say very briefly what that does yeah so that's um, one of our departments within community health at IU health and so it partners first-time low-income moms with a registered nurse that nurse goes out to their home from prenatal care until the baby's second birthday and helps them with everything around mom's health, baby's health, and economic self-sufficiency of the family. So jobs, um, you know, income, housing, all the things that determine social determinants of health, uh, just making them more sustainable. All right. Great. And Penny, um, we've got a couple minutes left and you've got one of them. Okay, well, thanks. Um, for me, my, right now, we're having a really, oh, we're just drilling down on mental illness and substance use disorders and trying to figure out treatment platforms within our community. Um, for people at the county level, this goes hand in hand with some of the criminal justice reforms that we're like wanting to put into place. And so that mental health and substance use, mental health and substance use disorder uh, line is one of the things that we're really big on right now. Yeah, thank you. And Dr. Repetto. Uh, from a personal viewpoint, what 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 I work on is local engagement. Um, you know, compassion versus others, um, improving communication between you know different parties, um, which I think helps in the long run. On a bigger scale, what I think would have a big impact is marketing policy because they're marketing to children with uh, vaping and the whole campaign that happened with uh, tobacco. You know, they started, I don't know, what, 30 years ago uh, that did work, but uh, now they have found a new group, and that is children that they market to. And the same goes for marketing of sugar, because, I mean, they're putting sugar in foods mm -hmm. that people don't even realize there is sugar in it. And, and sugar is very addictive. So from a bigger policy viewpoint, I think those are two things that, you know, marketing would make a difference. And then on a local public health i think yes smoking and good nutrition are at the top all right i want to thank our guest today that was dr corinna Ropetto from iu health and we've also had amy meek and elizabeth thompson from iu health and penny givens monroe county commissioner for co-host Lori mcrobbie and engineer mike pashkash producer nathan moore i'm bob zaltzberg thanks for listening Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future healthcare in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org and from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.